Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hi, everyone. Good to see a full house. Uh, my name is Josh Krieger. I'm one of the co-founders of Edge of Company and uh, co-host of Edge of NFT. And uh, we're talking today about the future of entertainment. I think it's a it's great time to have that conversation. There's so much to talk about what's going on with AI and Web3 again. I think we're back, right? Yeah. And. Uh, and, and also, like, you know, there's some other sort of extended reality stuff going on with Apple Vision Pro. So we'll get into all that. Um, but, but first, I want to thank our, our host tonight, Sandbox, who has this amazing new office. What do you guys think? Pretty cool, right? So I'll introduce uh, the, the chief product officer or chief content officer, excuse me, Nicola, to just say a few words and welcome everyone. And then we'll get going. Hi, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, my name is Nicola, Chief Content Officer and CEO of US at The Sandbox. The Sandbox, for those of you who don't know, is a UGC metaverse powered by Sand, our token, and by Land, our virtual estates. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you all here. We have been opening this uh, US office maybe three, four months ago, and it's still work in progress. But my goal and the goal of the founders of the Sandbox is really making it a center of culture, a center of uh, the startup, Web3, entertainment life in Los Angeles. So uh, thank you to our friend from Edgeoft for being the first, helping us making this dream a success. And um, this is also my first podcast. So between that and my accent, you probably won't understand anything I say, but we won't. I'm the sponsor after all, I guess that's why. Uh, well, I hope you have a good time. I hope you enjoy the refreshments, and I hope what we say is going to be interesting. And thank you all for coming. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're super excited about this, and like, the room is amazing. Most of the people in this room could easily be on this panel, uh, so we appreciate all of you being here. We're going to have some really, really great conversations. Um, I also want to highlight just a couple of amazing companies that are here tonight between Rainmaker, Amazon, Zubra Lawler, Paramount, Adobe, WeMade, and so many more. Really appreciate you all being here. Um, tonight we're going to dive into the cutting edge landscape of entertainment through discussion led industry experts in an Edge of NFT live podcast. It will be an insightful and thought provoking journey on what lies ahead in the world of entertainment. It will be a 30-minute conversation followed by 10 minutes of Q&A. We're going to try really hard to make sure it's 30 minutes. We can get long-winded, but we definitely want to leave some space so that it can be a conversation because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great combos in here. So. Thanks. So um, at the end of the podcast, uh, which will be taped and, and then we'll air it on our uh, show uh, eventually, uh, we're just going to make a few announcements and then we'll get back to, to networking. Uh, just a little bit of history. Uh, it's actually been about three years since we started Edge of NFT. It was a podcast before it was a company. I think we incorporated like nine months later. Um, it's been, you know, 300 and something episodes. Uh, really excited that we're closing in on 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, so I don't think there's anyone from Cointelegraph or Coindesk here. I think Coin, Cointelegraph is like 110. Uh, Coindesk might be 150, but we're growing like 10,000 every few weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're ahead of the game in a few months. Um, and it's just been about having amazing conversations that are authentic with amazing, amazing people in this space. Um, we think it's a privilege to sort of do events in this area because at the end of the day, LA is this sort of epicenter of tech, culture, entertainment, art, music, all in one. Um, so that was really what gave us inspiration to start NFTLA, which then became Outer Edge LA. Um, we'll tell you a little bit more about what our plans are there uh, after the show. Uh, but for now, it's going to be a live taping. It will actually be like a taping. So if we actually rewind at some point, it will actually be edited out. So you'll actually experience a real podcast. 
Um, and then uh, we'll go from there. And you can check it out on YouTube later or tell your friends too. So uh, without further ado, we'll bring our guest onto the stage. And then we'll introduce them as if it was part of the podcast. So let's have Adrusha, David, Nicola, come on up. Welcome to The Edge of NFT, live podcast brought to you by... You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintraininalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Josh Krieger, co-founder of Edge of Company, and myself, Richard Carthon. This show is sponsored by Sandbox as part of a special media partnership. We're taping this live at the LA office. Sandbox is your gateway to the metaverse, where you can build, own, and monetize your gaming experiences on the blockchain. Their support has been instrumental in bringing uh, tonight's fruition. Let's give them a round of applause. It's an honor to introduce our panelists for tonight's IRL discussion on the future of entertainment. Each is a trailblazer in their respective fields. First, we have Nicola Sebastiani, the Chief Content Officer at Sandbox. He contributes to his contributions have included Square Enix, Ubisoft, Sony, PlayStation Studios, and Apple that have allowed him to shape the Sandbox creator-centric ecosystem and world-class no-code tools to shape the next generation of gaming. Next up, we have David Bianchi, who is a multi-hyphenated actor, filmmaker, and creator with over 100 professional credits in studio films and major network TV, and the pioneer of art genre cinema, uh, spoken word cinema. He's associated with Producers Guild of America and the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. He's currently leading the charge at Exertion 3 Films to push the boundaries of blockchain technology and cinema at Gala Films in partnership with Web3 gaming giant Gala Games. And last but not least, we have Ajusha Apana, the Emmy-nominated creator of film and TV and the founder of the production company Curiosity Entertainment. She has over 30 films under her belt, including the Oscar-nominated The Joker in Bombshell and is an advisor to Web3 fan platform Lockerverse. Her recent releases include the Emmy-nominated film The Survivor, directed by Barry Levinson, as well as The Needle and the Time Stack, starring Cynthia Ervo, Leslie Odom Jr., and or Orlando Bloom. And Adrushia is also the host of her own podcast, uh, Curiosity Storyteller Studio, streaming on Ruckus Avenue Radio and iHeart. Let's give them up. All right, so to get us kicked off, with all the buzz around AI, extended reality, Web3, and other technological advancements, and their impact on entertainment, there's no shortage of topics to cover. So let's get it. How will the advancements in extended reality technology, such as Apple Vision Pro, redefine the immersive viewing experience, and what opportunities does it present for the storytelling and player engagement? We're going to kick this off with you, Nicola. Great. Um, well, for the day-to-day -day creator, I think uh, it's, uh, it's a really cool opportunity to get closer to people that you love or care about. Like, for example, I was... Um, experiencing on the Vision Pro, a video made by my co-founders while they were in Antarctica. And, you know, this is something that normally I would have experienced in pictures or just the normal video, but there I was actually there. Now, this, is, this, this would not have been possible before. This is the Apple ecosystem that made it uh, feasible with the mix of iPhone, Vision Pro, and everything else. Uh, talking about storytelling, I played recently Asgard Wrath 2, 
on Quest. Uh, don't know if you did. It's probably one of the best games I've ever played on VR, if not the best game. So we are reaching double A, triple A gaming production values and experiences on uh, VR, AR now. Uh, it's amazing. Now, does it redefine storytelling? Maybe not yet. I think for that, you're going to need uh, multiplayer. You're going to need user-generated uh, content. We see like at the sandbox, a lot of what storytelling is is really the interaction from of the users, even outside of the platform. And then the, the last part, I believe, was engagement. Uh, I think we're almost there. I think engagement is not about a killer application or software. It's about the form factor. And the, the, the Quest is a phenomenal deal. Vision Pro has incredible graphics, but the form factor is still one step away. So when we'll have that, we'll have true engagement on those um, devices. Yeah, I, I think it's really, really exciting. I've been talking about for many years how I think that augmented reality, extended reality, some of the biggest players in that space are going to be the adult industry and the sports industry. Uh, real talk, because like you think about it from like the the hardware is still unfortunately even with Apple Vision it's still so clunky, right? Because VR you don't want to be boxed away. You want to know your bound. You want to know your awareness and your boundaries as your dog chewing up the couch while you're watching whatever you're watching, and that's what Apple Vision allows us to do. But because it still has a weight about it, you need a real emotional reason to be in there. So if you're watching the under over, you're watching MMA while you're watching Sunday football, and you're betting on this, and then you're you know you're getting outpriced on something on 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 chain, you have a real investment to be there. Obviously, the adult industry, you have a real investment to be there while you're there. Um, but I think that from a narrative perspective, which is a space that I traditionally work in, I'm not sure that we're quite there yet. Because narrative cinema and narrative television is still a communal experience, right? And so to isolate yourself off away and then have this, this heavy device on your face to watch narrative content, I don't think we're quite there yet, but we are getting there. And as soon as this hardware gets a lot lighter, then we're going to be looking for more immersive experiences where we'll be able to do sort of like what Netflix did with Bandersnatch, for example, where you'll be able to sort of choose your own destiny through augmented reality. But as long as we still have these lunch boxes on our faces, it's we're still a little far away. But Apple Vision is a massive, monumental lunar leap in the right direction. You're going to hear me uh, put a lot of weight behind fandom. For me, Apple Pro and a lot of the web, th the different Web3 applications, um, I agree with David in terms of it not being there in terms of narrative storytelling but what's really exciting is for whether it's a gamer whether it's a film television creator whether it's an actor the idea that you can now and you will be able to for those exclusive fans be in a room with them touch talk be in front of them i think we're living in a time where i want more hours in a day every single day and i wish i could you know jump a jet and fly across the world to see whoever my grandparents and like talk to them face to face this allows you to do these things and think of that about that for a Martin Garrix or a fan, uh, someone who has a massive fandom. You can actually be in the room and allow those people to experience you and your energy. And I think that's what's very exciting for it. Got it. Right on, right on. Well, um, you know, we've had conversations in the past about the impact of AI and entertainment, and we knew big things were coming. We just talked about it on our last live podcast, actually, with Tomas, who's who's in the room here. But but then we have uh, Sora, and 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 that just dropped right before uh, before after we planned the show, but before you all are here. So let's talk about OpenAI and the impact of, of Sora and sort of how this reshapes the idea of generative AI for filmmaking. And let's start with you, Adrusha. Uh, so right away off the bat, we're already seeing, and uh, OpenAI, uh, OpenAI's version is obviously the newest, Soros obviously the newest, but we're already seeing full integration in anything that is pitch, materi pitch material, sizzle material, presentation material, being able to actualize what a film scene's gonna look like or what a film's gonna feel like or sound like before um, it actually gets optioned by any of the, I'm sure some of you guys out here work, any of the major studios, et cetera. Um, uh, I think democratization has been great, um, a great point or a great uh, piece of this movement because it has allowed medium and small size companies like myself to create pitch decks and sizzles and reels that look just like the mega studios. Uh, and I think that we're going to see that with also amateur filmmakers being able to now take whatever's in their head and create that content and present it in a professional way. Um, I, I also think that... Do you think that's going to make the big studios sort of sweat? 
do I think it's going to make the big studios sweat? Uh, no, I do not. I'm just being honest. I mean, I think I think one of the biggest issues that we're going to talk about a little bit later in this is is that there's just not enough distributors right now for the amount of content there is. Uh, but in terms of actually using OpenAI and these tools to create better and better art, I think we've created more paths for more creators to create art. Now, the question that I would like to answer later is who's going to distribute it? I think David might be able to answer some of those questions. <laughs> Listen, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Like, there's only been one major revolution going all the way back to Thomas Edison's technology in the filmmaking ecosystem, which is basically going from celluloid to digital. As far as the mechanics of filmmaking, those things are all the same. Those things have not changed. But what's fantastic about artificial intelligence is, like you said, the accessibility to swifter development processes, the accessibility to creative birth and being able to get your ideas in a reference that can be pitched and so on and so forth. In my latest uh, TV series that I produced, with Gala Film, I used generative AI all over the place. You know, I didn't have to hire graphic designers because I had tons of screens that I had to fill with assets. So I just mid-journeyed it. I knew it was going to be out of focus. I don't give a shit. You know, I had to I had to shoot some sequences where I had a, a I had a character speaking on a live feed in a live chat. So rather than paying my writer to spend six hours writing 25 lines of what you know trolls might say on this live feed, I just went I just you know I just went on, on open and I said, give me 25 sentences that someone might say to a 25 year old girl who's a hacker and a coder who is snorting cocaine, and it gave me emojis. <laughs> you know, so my writer went in and manicured it to the moments. Uh, I, I think that the most important thing about, even with Sora, for example, how do we use this to integrate into the existing filmmaking process and 100%. make it more exciting from an audience perspective? That's what we have to do because it makes our jobs easier. Now, one of the biggest fears that I have with something like Sora is, is what puts us in extreme danger is when you can shoot something with an Alexa 35 or even an iPhone, right? Capture that moment, ingest it into a machine learning device, and it can then, you can type how you want the movie to continue because it understands your color temperature, it understands your editorial style, it understands your aperture, it understands your lens, it understands the, the, all the data sensitivities of what you captured. Now, can you actually type out the rest of your movie that looks exactly how you only shot one scene of? That's where it gets really dangerous and precarious, where we might start to get into a dangerous zone where the craft of filmmaking might start to go away. And the reason I'm not as worried about that is because I think that audiences sometimes enjoy a handmade touch, you know? I think we're creating a whole new realm of film, and I think Dave and I would actually agree on that, where you have a place where things like Sorrows can be used to create these engaging worlds. And for the creator who likes to do things manually, whether it's claymation or whether <laughs> or whether or whether it's, you know, uh, shooting in black and white on old film, you have a virtual assistant that can help you, like Dave was explaining to you guys set up scenes, come up with new ideas, understand a couple of different ideas of how you could shoot something. But I think the humans, like as a species, will always put um, will always put value on 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 both technology and on art. I think we've seen it again and again, and I think that that I mean this year's Oscars is any is any example of that. We've got a lot of films that were filmed on film in a very old-fashioned way, I think that, that humans enjoy both experiences. So, Nicola, you, you have an interesting uh, position now at Sandbox, where you're sort of a sandbox of all this different type of emerging technology, but you are also you know, in the gaming space for, for quite a while. Putting on both hats, how did you react to sort of the news about Sora, and, and what are you thinking in terms of how that, uh, what are the implications for Sandbox? Hi. We love having listeners like you because you're not only generous, but you're smart and you want to maximize the impact of your generosity. Donating money to help people can be a wonderful and selfless act, but how can you feel confident that your donations are improving or saving lives effectively? You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, programs that they run, how effective those programs are, and how the charity might use your money. Or you could visit GiveWell.org. There, you'll get a short vetted list of the best charities they've found at saving or improving lives per dollar. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence back to charities they've found. Here's an example of how we at Edge of NFT make our charitable contributions go super far. Quick search on GiveWell's website, found their maximum impact fund, clicked donate, sent crypto to their address, done. 
Their maximum impact fund distributes quarterly to the charities that they believe will do the most good. GiveWell accepts a broad variety of popular tokens and provides a simple way to document your donation. If you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Edge of NFT at checkout. Make sure they know you heard about GiveWell from Edge of NFT to get your donation matched. On Sora per se, I don't know. Like, right, I, I don't know if videos are going to make a difference, but AI in gaming... I remember I was in a meeting with uh, a video game industry legend, uh, maybe in 2021, I'm, I'll not name her, but she was talking about how AI was going to change everything and actually was changing everything. And I was like, wow, really? Like, it's never going to, like, in 10 years, maybe. And then, obviously, she was right, and she was on it. And people in gaming industry that needed to know, they knew for a while. So I think what it does in gaming is... Uh, is democratizing things obviously uh, to make a triple a game today takes a uh, double mid double digit to low triple digit millions just in development vast majority of it is art as you say the the human will be heavily involved I, I think in in gaming to create the actual game but dialogue translation art a lot of that will be done in ai there's a lot of moral discussions to be had and that's probably take a whole new series of podcasts uh, but it's going to change everything. In the sandbox, we are we're experimenting a lot on it. Um, it's a big part of our R&D. We, we see it as a way to not only turbocharge creativity, but also to make uh, the play the creator experience safer. Uh, we so it's every company, every game company that is serious about their business must be looking into this, right? So as a follow up to that, um, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm not necessarily in entertainment or gaming but AI makes me feel like I might have a chance, right? So like, what are the ramifications to being able to utilize AI in such a way that now your everyday layman person now can potentially enter, try to be competitive, not necessarily be as great, but now like, what are those ramifications of your everyday person now being able to enter and be able to start to be a part of this industry? I'll start with you, David. Well, I, I think it's a beautiful thing because accessibility is really what Web3 is all about, right? Decentralization. We want to break down the walls and give people an opportunity to get into the race. Um, so I think that for the person on, you know, on Main Street that can access this ecosystem through artificial intelligence is great because all it's going to do is inspire them to learn craft. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's, a, there's, there's AI and then there's a substitute for substance because eventually you have to, I'll speak from a filmmaking perspective, you have to understand the craft of filmmaking because if you get in with a little Sora piece, eventually you're going to sit across a table from talented people like Ajusha or guys that know what they're looking at like myself and I'm going to suss you out, right? Because you can't substitute craft. So I think that if this gives people a lower entry point to be inspired, to build a community, to get to their careers faster, then I say so be it. And individuals like ourselves that are at a certain career in our, in our producing careers, that forces us to work twice as hard because they're coming. And they're coming at an exponential rate, and they happen to be 18. So, <laughs> so I got a lot of work to do to stay at my level of the game, and I do my best work when my back's up against the wall. You know, I, I, really, I really welcome a challenge. So I think it's very, very exciting because I know it has indeed streamlined my work, my workflow, my process. And I do appreciate the moral implications, especially is it born by human or is it born by machine? And if we look at things that are born by machine, well, theoretically, machine learning is actually scouring the entire internet. So is it actually born by machine? No, not necessarily. It's actually all born by individuals. But by the time you run it through the siphon, you can't really tell who it was born by. You know, and so there's a lot of implications, especially from a literary perspective that we have to take into consideration. But to land the airplane, I think it's all very, very good for creativity because it's going to bolster us as human beings to create a new form of art that people are used to seeing and enjoying and consuming. Great for creativity. And I guess the big question mark is what does it do for economy? Because if there are, there are already, again, an oversaturation of content creators with not enough buyers in traditional film and television. And what's beautiful about the Web3 space, as well as 
all these disruption, all the disruption that's happened in the last five years is that more and more people are coming up with other ways that you can reach consumers. But at some point, I think you've all experienced in this room oversaturation of where am I finding my content? And as we have more and more creators and more and more people with the ability to build infrastructure, that's just going to increase. And so in my head, I'm trying to solve for the the question that's sitting in front of all of us, and that's how are we going to find our audience and how are we going to maintain that audience and how are we going to find them again? And what's exciting uh, on the tail of that, so I don't leave it with like dim and doomy, is that AI has done a great job of data analytics, uh, making strides in data analytics and being able to find those audiences. And so it's really just a big question mark. I don't have an answer to that yet. Is it going to be oversaturation, overstimulation, not enough money? Money to go around to pay like uh, do, do I watch a game on your platform on your platform on your platform do I play play a movie <laughs> I did it backwards on this platform or that I, I don't know or is it going to be I can type into AI this is what I want to watch and it's going to scour the entire world and tell me exactly where to watch it can someone create that please <laughs> <laughs> amazing and just to flip flip over to gaming for a moment I I we were talking before uh, in preparation for the panel, you, you feel like the gaming industry, there's a much more positive, clear, demonstrative outlook here for the power of AI to sort of enhance the gaming sort of industry? I think it will be adopted by bigger studios, maybe in a way that Hollywood won't, or uh, unless I'm wrong, but uh, it will be a big boom, boon for small creators. Uh, if you think about the only games that, or some of the few games that have been able to compete at scale with like big budget games uh, in the past few years have, be, have had a procedural generator in it. Uh, so survival games uh, or, or No Man's Sky is a good example. They essentially give you the impression of being way bigger uh, than, uh, than, than they are thanks to randomness. And, and AI is similar to that and will allow to make way bigger games. So. Uh, I don't think that we'll ever have fully AI games in the next five, ten years that are going to be so good that you will not be able to tell. I think we will have movies that maybe you will be able to tell, but a lot of people will love. And, uh, and probably different generation, but yeah, they love the whole AI thing and they won't mind. I mean, Avatar set a standard for what audiences are now being conditioned to watching. So what tells us that you know Sora feature films are that far away from an audience consumability perspective, you know? Cool. Well, there's another topic that's been on my mind and that we've talked about quite a lot on on different shows over the last year, which is sort of this idea that you mentioned about interactivity, and I think it's an interesting thing because there's times where I want to be interactive, and there's times where I just want to veg out and enjoy content, right? And you know, I've thought about it from a, a podcast perspective, too. Like, we, we do reward and incentivize some of our um, podcast listeners for listening and, and try to find ways to thank them. And I think it's had something to do with how much we've grown our audience. But, but I think, you know, there's also different levels of that interactive uh, engagement interest in, in, in the space. I'm curious what you all think. And, you know, and we'll... I'll talk for a minute just about um, one platform that we're going to be trying out soon called Myco, which is a, a watch and earn platform based in Dubai. Really cool team. So we're going to showcase our content on there and see what happens. I think it's like a 60-40 split with users and the content creators. Sounds cool on paper. We'll see what happens. Um, what are your thoughts, David? Um, I mean, I can speak from firsthand experience. Um, I, I'm the creator of a new series called Razor. And it's coming out on a new platform called Gala Film, which is part of the third part of the entertainment ecosystem of a company called Gala Games, or now Gala, Gala Chain. Um, you know, they've launched a new layer one that is lightning fast. And so some of the dreams that we talked about in March of 2021 about how we can sort of democratize and decentralize the, the film experience is going to be coming to life, um, where we're building um, the engineering is literally a watch and earn model. So each ecosystem has nodes, for example, 
example, and then you'll own a digital collectible or an NFT that you can attach to anyone's node. And that will give you earning potential that will come in the form of G Film, which is the coin that will power the ecosystem. Now, as we're releasing these episodes, we're releasing it in a freemium format, which means anybody can watch, whether you're Web 2 or Web 3, because Web 3 technology is only as good as good content. If the shit sucks, nobody cares, right? So if the content is good and people want to explore fandom from a Web 2 or Web 3 perspective, they can step into this and they can potentially come in and they can own a scene. And the scene is comprised of shards. So you'll collect your shards and then more that you own of that scene, if you own all the shards, that will increase your earning potential within the node ecosystem. And so it gives you a real vetted interest to hodl right? It also gives you a vetted interest to promote the show because you have a financial interest in the show. And so these sorts of things, these sorts of rewarding communities are really, really coming to life because now we have layer ones that can handle that. Mainnet Ethereum can't handle it. It's just too expensive. You can't pull it off. So I'm really, really excited about that and what that's going to do for the evolution of how we consume things. Eventually, when it gets to the point where we're no longer talking about NFTs or Web3 or this and that, Web2 audiences are just going to buy stuff and collect stuff, and it's going to be part of their natural ongoing experience. And that could also happen in extended reality with the glasses on, and now you could really dive into this stuff. I, I always give people the, the metaphor is that when I, when I go to buy a concert ticket, I'm not buying JavaScript. I'm going to Ticketmaster, and I'm buying a ticket. And when we can get to the point that we've created UI UXs that are so beautiful and so fluid and so quick, and that the idea of code is no longer in the conversation, that's when you know watch to earn will actually be massively adopted. But for right now, we're launching in April, and it's it's the first of its kind, and it's never been done before. So at least not in the narrative space. And Myco is a really really cool platform, and I know those guys too. And they're in the sports center, you know. So it's really cool. Yeah. So they Myco has over 30 million users, and they did it. Um, through the fandom of sports, right? We we wonder like what's going to create your cricket, cricket, yeah. And they're all moving my on. South Asians out there just jumping on to watch their cricket matches. Absolutely, and and they're getting into other sports now too. And you know their main focus is sort of sports where there is sort of raving fans. So it makes a lot of sense. What were you going to say, Adrusha? Oh no, I was just giving a shout out to cricket. But <laughs> uh, no, Michael, what Michael did was really was really smart because you know uh, streaming doesn't work out out of the country the same way that it does in the United States. So giving that accessibility to so many millions and millions of people abroad who want to watch their favorite sport was really smart. Uh, I'll piggyback off of what David said in terms of the different watch to earn type models, and I think what really excites me uh, in the participation space is being able to reward, I told you guys I'd sound like a repeated record here, but reward fans. The fans are who make our content, who make it popular, who make it successful, and for years they haven't got a piece of the action. And I think what's exciting where that future is is the ability to really reward fans in a way that, that hasn't been done before so they can feel part of what they're making. Nicola, when you look at sort of the interactivity question, what have you found is the right balance for Sandbox? Or does it vary? You know, you guys have different quests every season, right? And uh, are some of them more interactive than others? What, what are your findings so far? Everything is fairly interactive, if not very interactive, right? They, they, it's an immersive platform when you go to experience there. I guess low interactivity is on more narrative things, uh, whereas heavy interactivity is like on a game that has a lot of game mechanics. Uh, but for some users, yes, there are similarities, right? Some users just enjoy going in, being part of the ecosystem, getting rewards, getting sand, and then making friends through it. So I can see parallel with, with the company you're talking about. Sand is up today, by the way, not, not financial advice. <laughs> um, so we we want we want to wrap up here uh, and leave room for for questions from this amazing audience. But just one closing sort of thought is, what is sort of the next big disruption in the space of Web three AI NFTs that you're particularly excited to to see coming on the horizon? Mm. Yeah, um, I think that. What's really exciting for me is paying attention to what's going to happen on the merchandising space for a lot of what we do. I think we saw a little bit of this early on with um, with Board Ape 
with board with the board apes. Yeah, I almost called them board ape yacht club with the board apes and and what they created, uh, which was you know primarily a Web three project that then was able to create animations and food uh, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, through all the different owners. I think we're going to see the reverse of that in uh, film and television, where they can own the IP in a way where they get to participate in the merchandising, et cetera, as they continue to build the fandom. And that, for me, is really exciting. And now, a brief interlude from today's show so you can get ready to wave your magic wand with Cast Magic. Our team has saved a ton of time and money using Cast Magic for our show, and the potential use cases are boundless for any company creating content. Imagine turning a single recording into a goldmine of engagement for any type of show, webinar, or other type of audio and or video content, whether it's short or long. With Cast Magic, you can save over 20 hours a week. No more tedious transcribing or brainstorming social media posts. Cast Magic does it all, generating show notes, summaries, blog posts, and even newsletters in minutes. Think of it as your content alchemist, transforming every audio or video into a treasure trove of valuable content. Want to experience the magic? Get a seven-day trial on us by going to bit.ly forward slash cast magic referral and join cast magic's vibrant slack community of over a thousand innovators don't just create cast your magic with cast magic because that's uh, a way to also uh, build community around these stories i think the most exciting thing i was seeing in web3 is blackrock <laughs> he's not wrong that is the singular most important thing in blockchain right now. Fucking BlackRock. <laughs> you know, the idea that Wall Street is here in a very, very robust way. There's going to be a time 10 years from now where people are going to say, yo, you got in before BlackRock? <laughs> and you're going to be like, yeah, dog. Put the glasses on, son. You know what I mean? It's like the fact that Wall Street is in and institutions are in. And now that the spot ETFs are now educating middle America and the senior citizen community of America that blockchain and Bitcoin is safe, it now becomes a watershed moment for anything beneath the motherboard to become safe and to have regulation that can make our products trustworthy from a mass adoption perspective. It is sweeping FTX under the rug. It is making our world accessible in a way that I think we don't even understand. And that, my friends, is exactly what is the singular most important thing. When people that go to Walmart start holding Bitcoin, we will have a watershed moment around all altcoins and around all blockchain ecosystems. That's the thing that I am most excited about. What they said, but um, as well, like I guess on a different note, creator economy, I think like we are getting the metaverse creators they're more and more mainstream essentially what happened with video a few years ago is now fully uh in cruise when it comes to gaming obviously roblox fortnite us coming up uh, and i think more and more of that will happen more and more of that will reinvigorate economies in certain emerging markets that are becoming really good at it and it will probably change the balance of how the gaming industry works Right on. I'm going to add my own to this mix because I, I, I'm going to give everyone a little alpha. We had a podcast earlier today with um, the chief product officer at Robinhood. And Robinhood now has a self-custody wallet built into it. Robinhood, right? Like that company that everyone was giving shit for um, not being friendly to like the masses having control of their own crypto now has a self-custody wallet. So I think that type of change is, is profound for our industry. And kudos to them for, for what they're doing. They actually have the lowest cost per transaction in crypto as well, um, based on a transparency study. So, you know, who knew? Robinhood. Um, all right. Well, let's give it up to this great panel. And uh, let's open it up for a few minutes to some burning questions from the audience. Yes, there's a hand in the back. Shout out your question really loud. So the, the question was, uh, what direct overlap do you all see between blockchain and AI? I'm a blockchain newbie uh, as far as industry, just but I think, yes, as far as making it safer, that will be my 
safe answer and what I can, what I grasp today as far as learning the technology that powers up. And then I'm sure that they will have even better explanations. Um, I mean, I, I only know sort of from a 50,000 foot elevation. I mean, you know, obviously Vitalik Buterin, I mean, he just announced that he's very, very excited about how artificial intelligence is going to make the Ethereum chain more robust. Um, in the DeFi circle, there's a lot of work in AI. I mean, arbitrage and AI kind of work hand in hand. You know, how do you, you know, how do you monitor peaks and Hello again, Web3 Curious listeners. If you're tuning into our podcast, we'd love for you to connect with us on our social media channels. Let us know what aspects of the show you love and what or who you're eager to hear more about. Your insights help us refine the show and bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Thanks for sticking with us. Back to the episode. Valley's how there's even some really cool um, AI DeFi platforms that are basically going out and measuring market sentiment and buying and trading and setting, you know, and, and setting markers to buy and sell, depending on what's happening on Twitter and what is happening on Facebook or what's happening on Instagram or what's happening on Google tracking. Like that's the kind of stuff that the human mind can never, ever conceive. But from a financial ability, but from a financial perspective, you can create a hedge fund that will have artificial intelligence, social sentiment technology that will protect your investors. And that's really, really exciting. Um, that's, I think, what's on the top of my head off that. Uh, I think you were, you were uh, aiming the question kind of towards reducing the cost of gas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when you ask that question, for me, really what stands out is that AI is a tool that will help us educate the masses and the people who felt that Web3 was a bar had a barrier to entry in it because of their backgrounds or their socioeconomic backgrounds, et cetera. I love that AI democratizes education, and I think that this space really needs uh, information. I mean, whoever yelled in the back that they've, they've already created it when we were talking about distribution systems, I mean, one of the things we need the most is the information to infiltrate the masses and be available at Walmart when Dave goes, David goes to check out. And I think that this really allows uh, that kind of learning curve or that, that fear that people had about understanding this technology, that bar to be lowered and more people, which is what the whole point of this movement was, more people to be able to have access to that information and use this technology for good. And just to speak to that, uh when you look at the intersection of different companies that are building specifically on that, so NVIDIA just came out with uh, their uh, money that they just earned in their earnings, and it was insane, right? Um, just crazy. So when you looked at some of the projects in crypto right now that are blending both blockchain and AI, they are blowing up. One an example that I can bring up is AI tech, uh, where they're basically building out data centers to, to bring in a bunch of things and do it in a secure way. Um, and there's a bunch of others. Uh, there's another project out there that figured out how to take all of the data from call centers from uh, doing all the transcriptions and being able to quickly spit out what are the common threads that come out, make FAQs, and then be able to quickly talk to those and then basically tokenize it. So there's those kind of projects are continuing to be made, and a lot of those are getting a ton of funding right now. Full disclosure, Richard is an investor in AI tech. And I'll also just mention, um, you know, Meta Parlikar of Casper Labs came on the show and talked about the power of blockchain to help authenticate AI content. I think that's going to be a more and more difficult thing that we talked about with Sora. How do we know what's real, what's not real? Maybe there's a use case there for blockchain that folks can figure out. And if JD's in the house, he's working on, you know, using blockchain to train AI with this uh, company called Rainmaker that you all should check out. It's pretty cool, and they're launching soon. Um, full disclosure: we may have a partnership in the works. All right, another question. All right, where's the next big simple thing that people is on the same path of growth as, as Roblox that we can use this technology to create? So maybe I start since we talk about the sandbox. I guess first, Roblox has been around for 15 plus years. It's a, it's a company, it wasn't an overnight success. And yeah, of course, there's great partnerships. We were able to, we have over 150 partners. We have Gucci, we have Snoop, obviously, we have Perry Silton. So we are able to attract that interest and the, that talent. Now, what is, what, what is one of the main differences is we're on Web3. What are we trying to do is make it as accessible and as seamless for you to enter, enjoy, and then realize, if you're not in for the Web3, realize that there's that added value. 
Uh, and that is, not the next big, that is not the next big change, but it's a great way to onboard people and make them realize, wow, I can play no, a, a competitive platform that doesn't give me the ownership, or I can own my creations, I can be part of an economy ecosystem, and eventually have a stake in it. And that is our stance on this. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful question. Um, I was reminded uh, three weeks ago, talking about BlackRock, where my father, 76 years old, God bless his heart, he reminded me how clunky Coinbase is, how hard it was for him to get money from here. Da, da, da. Like, I think it's easy, but I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the church, right? And so I mentioned earlier about the UI, UX situation. So with what we're doing, and I could speak about what we're doing at Gala Film, is that we're making... A-list content. My series stars Mina Suvari, Danny Trejo, Emilio Rivera, Richard Cabral, uh, award-winning filmmaking, top, 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 top notch. And if you're a Web2 person in Wisconsin or Jacksonville, Florida, you put in your email address, you click play, and you watch and you consume. Anything above and beyond that is your own volition. Now these folks in Jacksonville are landing on a Web3 platform, and they just don't really know it. You know, well, you buy a lightsaber because you fell in love with Star Wars, not the other way around. So our job is to create incredible content, let people fall in love with that content, and then whatever wormholes they go down through are their own volition. And if they have an emotional desire, they will learn. Like, let's go back to the beginning of NFTs. If you look at, like, NBA Top Shot, you had a bunch of normies that onboarded to get crypto because they were emotionally invested by their athletes' collectability and their bags going up. So if you have an emotional investment to a really, really cool series, odds are you might go through the diligence to figure out what else you could do within that ecosystem that we provide for you. And so I think that it just has to be, to your point, it just has to be very, very easy and not lead with the technology. For our purposes, just lead with great content. And from a financial metric, our platform is a freemium platform following, like, you know, the gaming ecosystem. The top 10% of games, the top 10% of consumers in games pay for the bottom 90%. And so we're looking at it from that same metric as well. It's even wider, I think. It is even wider. Wow. So there you go. So, I mean, if you look at games like the games you described, I'm not a gamer, but I happen to know those metrics. And that's where we're looking at it from. It's a freemium platform, and then like 5%, 8% of those folks are going to cover the nut for everything we're creating. I think that, that brands uh, that are growing within these technology spaces need to pay attention to language. I think one of the reasons I'm an advisor for Lockerverse is because they created a very, very simple platform uh, that was essentially, in many ways, uh, a Discord, but for just for entertainment-related fans. And the interface looks like something familiar, like an Instagram page or where Instagram stories are, et cetera. And the way you interact with it is very simple. It doesn't need you know, a secondary wallet doesn't need you to understand all the back end, the Walmart part, the back end of what the, what's happening. Uh, you get to engage with it through the experience and then learn the tech that way. And for me, the reason that I'm even here in this panel was engaged in this community is because when the first boom happened and people started asking us to tokenize our fund and asking us to if we could engage with Web3 technology, I had some amazing friends who sat down with me and I said, now speak to me like I'm a fifth grader. Like, where is this really going? And explain it to me in layman's terms as it as it pertains to our film our film uh, film production and how we can utilize it and um, I did that because I wanted to be able to share it with others and I think that the brands that are really growing rapidly in this space we have to think about brands in all tech spaces and how they've grown it's the simplest ideas that have grown the farthest and then have allowed people to understand tech and adapt to tech and so um, I hope that brands start understanding that to get the mass consumer that we have to we have to start with language and we have to really explain things to to people in a way where they don't feel intimidated by it because we want people to adopt this technology we want more people in this space right on i think that's a great place to end this uh, official part of the podcast and let you all continue these conversations irl at this great event i want to thank our illustrious guests for joining us on this panel. Let's give it up to Nicola, David, Adusha. It's been a really cool discussion and uh, the beginning of a, a long partnership with, with this new great hub of, of innovation we have here in our backyard in Culver City. So um, thank you, Sandbox, again, for hosting us tonight.
So we have just a couple quick announcements, and then we'll let you all get back to networking. I think one of them will be pretty exciting. At least one of them will. Um, but first, let me turn it over to Richard to tell everyone a little bit about what's coming up with NFTLA. All right, so NFTLA returns as a special celebration in a week of community events throughout LA on March 25th through 29th. Celebrate the official NFTLA anchor event on Wednesday, March 27th in downtown LA. And participate or co-create at the community events throughout the week and across the city. For more information, you can go to outeredge.live backslash NFTLA. All right, so when we started Outer Edge, um, and by the way, NFTLA Community Week is sort of an extension of Outer Edge LA, which will, you know, is a conference that um, we did the last two years. We wanted to do something for the community um, to support the builders uh, in this current time. Spring is here; it's time to build. Um, it's been a great, overwhelming response. I hope you all join us at that event, and it's all free, so everyone can come. Want to make it as inclusive as possible. Um, with that said. We've been thinking about what's next for Edge of Company and how can we make a bigger impact in the world. Um, so we will be announcing here uh, for the first time live that the next big movement in Outer Edge is we're going to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. So this is a Web3 Innovation Forum. It's a one-day event. Um, on April 23rd, if you're going to Token 20, uh, 2049, it's just a two-hour flight over to Riyadh, um, not too far. Um, it's an invite-only event. You can talk to me, Richard, Audrey, um, Zach to learn more about the event. Uh, we'd have love to have some representation from LA over there. It's going to be a lot easier for folks already in Dubai and in Asia to, to hop over, but let's get some folks from, from LA as well. Um, about a 500 to 1,000 person invite only event. Um, it's gonna be in the heart of downtown Riyadh. It's burgeoning over there with innovation, um, you know, with, with the smart city movement for those that aren't familiar with what is gonna be one of the biggest uh, projects in the history of mankind. Um, you know, the, the NEOM project, and, and we'll have representatives of the government there, all sorts of interesting people. Uh, so you heard it here first, Outer Edge is going to Riyadh. Yeah. All right, and that's a wrap. Um, I want to do a quick cheers for whoever does have a drink. I'm going to put my imaginary one up, and uh, this is a cheers to co-creation and continue to build amazing things here out in L.A. Let's go. Spring's back. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy.